0: Only then, that which is nameless, comes into being.
1: This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti Podcast. Selfishness is what it is. To observe it purely, without any distortion or pressure. That very observation exposes the whole consequences of selfishness, and cleanses the mind of selfishness. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives, representing different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is selfishness. Upcoming themes are the brain, insight and discipline. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, a unique international boarding school offering a personalised, holistic education for around 70 students. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on selfishness has five sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Bombay in 1982, titled, We Are All Selfish.
0: So we must examine very closely why, Human beings have lost not only relationship with nature but also with each other. You understand? Why? As we pointed out yesterday, merely seeking the cause will not help bring about the resolution of the problem. You may find the cause, I'll show you the cause, but the understanding of the cause, the examination of the cause, will not solve the problem. Right? I know, for example, we are selfish, totally self-centred, and we are self-centred because it's our habit, It's our tradition. It's our religious upbringing. You are a separate soul. You must seek your own salvation and so on. This emphasis on being selfish, self-centered through education, through pressure, it has existed from the, from time immeasurable. That's the cause of all this misery. Right? That's the cause. We understand that intellectually. And discovering the cause does not make us less selfish. So we are said as yesterday. <coughs> what is important is not the analytical process of, ex- of discovering the cause, but remaining with the problem, which is, we are selfish, that's a fact. And therefore there is no relationship with each other. Each goes his own way. Divorces are multiplying, in Europe and in America, and it is also coming here, more and more, when women can earn their own livelihood, they walk out on men. So gradually there is the world in which hardly any relationship with each other exists, so we become very callous, self-centred pursuing our own way. That is, our way is to become something – right? Become more rich, become the chief executive, or become the high priest, the archbishop, and so on. There is all this struggle to become something which is essentially (coughs) selfish. Now, we've heard this, which we all know. When you hear such a statement, what's your reaction to it? Do you accept it and say, yes, what you say is absolutely so, and just let it go? You hear it, see the truth of it, and remain with that truth, so that it operates without your operating on selfishness. You understand what I am saying? No, no, let's look at it. Suppose I am selfish. And I say I must not be selfish, that is, thought has brought about selfishness, right? It has structured selfishness, so thought says I must not be selfish, so there is conflict between the fact and what thought wants it to be.
1: The second extract is from the first talk in Sanin, 1978, titled Why are we so appallingly selfish?
0: So we are asking why most human beings right throughout the world are so concerned with themselves, with their relationship with another, with their unhappiness, their Psychological ugliness, there's their schizophrenic or various complexes, or they're asking themselves if they can ever find something everlasting, beautiful, true. And in their search, those who are serious get caught up in things like religion, caught up with the various gurus, caught up in some belief or in some idea or in some conclusion. All this indicates, doesn't it? That essentially, we are concerned about ourselves, and therefore we, as an individual or as a human being, become the center of the universe. Because we are so absorbed, we are so committed, we are so entangled. We are so desperately wanting something or other – happiness, enlightenment, to behave properly, what is correct action. Or if you are neurotically minded, that neurosis becomes stronger and stronger because you are concerned about yourself. And there are all those psychological priests who are trying to help you. So one observes this fact. Why is it that human beings are so self-centred, so appallingly selfish? So, caught up in their own anxieties, in their own longings, loneliness, despair and so on. This is an ordinary, daily fact. Some of us may be willing to face it, And others may be evading it or taking a flight away from ourselves and identifying ourselves with a nation, with a god, with a priest, with something or other. But this identification is still the concern about oneself. Right? So why? Because the more we are concerned about ourselves, the more our capacity to comprehend the whole becomes impossible. It's like a mountain stream that is roaring down the hill. but. Man has held it, with cement and rock, not to overflow. And we are doing the same thing with ourselves. This concern with ourselves has a certain quality of energy, and that energy, is bound, carefully canalised. And being caught in that, the more we are concerned with ourselves, the narrower, the more rigid the walls become. You must have observed this. So we are going to investigate together why human beings throughout the world are so eagerly, so subtly, in a very, very refined way, if they are not brutish, if they are not callous, if they are not indifferent, in very, very subtle ways they are concerned with their centre. And that centre, with its enormous energy, either brings about a catastrophe, or there is a possibility of breaking down these narrow walls, which we have built artificially around ourselves, be broken down, and therefore the release of tremendous energy. So that is what we are talking about, whether it is possible for human beings, wherever they are, socially, economically, in the various forms, whether it is possible to break down the narrow walls which man, you human beings throughout the world have built round themselves. And whether it is possible, without any effort, not intellectually, not theoretically, hypothetically, but actually, in our daily life, whether it is possible to break down this self-centred concern with its conditioning, can never be broken down, and therefore releasing an extraordinary quality of energy. And that energy is needed when, the wo- when there are no walls at all. Is needed for meditation, for the inquiry into what is truth, for the ending of sorrow, and discovering what is compassion, love. So, I hope you are serious enough and you have taken the trouble to come here in this dreadful climate, at least this year. So let us be serious, because this is not an entertainment. This is not an intellectual amusement, a romantic, intellectual investigation. We have to put aside, I'm afraid, all our sentiments, all our romanticism, imagination, sensations, the desire for more experience, but face the central fact. I do not know if you can face it. We are saying, I do not know if we can face it, because we are very clever at hiding behind a façade, of theories opinions judgments and asserting and clinging to them aggressively passively or unconsciously so it's going to be very difficult to explore easily, without any compulsion, without any pressure, without any reward or punishment, just to go into ourselves and look, and find out if we can why. You and human beings right throughout the world have made this a central issue, central problem. And that means to having the capacity to look, to look without any distortion. Because every idea, every conclusion, every opinion, every experience, is a distorting factor – right? – please understand this – your very experience, whether it be sexual, of various types of experiences stored up as memory in investigation, in observing, becomes a distorting factor, obviously. Those of us who have very strong opinions, aggressively so, or judgments, Again they become factors of distortion. And if you believe whatever you believe in according to your particular conditioning, that belief with all its associations, with all its tradition, with all the past, becomes a a factor which will prevent clear observation. So in order to enquire deeply into this enormous, complex problem, there must be freedom to observe. Not what you think and I think. What you feel or I feel. What your conclusions are or mine. None of those have any importance when observing, in seeing. Clearly why human beings are so desperately concerned with themselves. Right. When you listen to this to these statements of the speaker, Do you actually listen or do you make a conclusion or an idea about what you hear? Do you actually listen to what is said or, in listening, you have made an abstraction of it and that abstraction becomes an idea with which you agree or disagree, or if you agree, try to carry, argue about that idea, or if you disagree you throw it out. But actually you are not listening, so one has to find out. If you are listening to find out for yourself why this narrowing, resisting expenditure of energy, which is becoming more and more and more narrow more and more selfish. And that selfishness is either so domesticated and you say it is not selfish, or you have identified yourself with something greater and say, that, that is great, I am not great, therefore my concern is with that, not with this, but that identification is this in a bigger way or a smaller way. I hope you are following all this. As we said, we are not… there is no speaker. It is a marvellous idea that there is no speaker. I have just found that out. (laughs) That we are looking at ourselves in the mirror and the mirror is telling you the whole story. But you must know how to look at the mirror, not how to interpret the measure, what you see in the mirror or how to act what you see in the mirror. But if you know how to look that very observation will bring about right action, everything falls in its right place. This is not a rhetorical statement, this is an actual fact. So we are inquiring seriously why human beings, with this marvelous world around them, the beauty, the extraordinary nature, the quality of water, the birds, the sea, and the land, and the sky, and the heavens above them where they have reduced everything to to this narrow, little, atom, small thing, and writing enormous books about it, and how to get rid of it, what to do, practice, meditate, sacrifice, deny, starve fast, everything to get rid of the small me. The futility of sacrifice, the futility of denial of the me, And identifying itself with something else, with a family, with a nation, with a belief, with a God, with um, international, umpteen forms of identification, will not solve the problem. What will solve the dissolve this thing that is so? corrupting, that is always seeking power, position, authority, grabbing for itself everything, utilising knowledge as a means of further success, further power, further indulgence. And so on. Now, can we factually observe not only the idea of me, the idea of the center, but also observe the movement of the senses, the various senses, which is actually sensations. These sensations, touch, all the rest of it, these sensations exist, are actual, there must be. You cannot deny sensations. But when thought identifies itself with those sensations, then the structure of the centre is beginning to be formed. Right? Please, it's not intellectual observation. Just ordinary daily fact if you observe the senses. I like, one likes a particular form of food, drink, smoke, drugs. And thought then identifies itself with that particular food and says the taste of it, the smell of it, the delight of it. And with that identification, in that identification, the centre is formed. That's obvious. Now, can you observe – please listen to this, it's very interesting if you you go into this – can you observe the movement of the sensations, whether it be sexual, whether it be taste, Hearing or seeing, can you observe those the movement of those ordinary, natural sensations without identifying? You, do you understand this? Am I saying something strange? or neurotic, or bizarre – it is very important to understand this, because we go into this problem of identification. Where there is no identification, there is no centre.
1: The third extract is from the second question and answer meeting in Sanin nineteen eighty one titled Total Dissipation of Selfishness.
0: First of all Can I be can the brain be free of the centre which is me? You understand my can my brain be free of myself, the self? Whether that self is super self, ultra, 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 super, is still the self. Is there total dissipation of selfishness, to put it very simply? Selfishness, the self-centre, is very cunning. It can think it is escape from all selfishness, from all concern about its own entity, its own becoming, and yet very subtly, deeply is putting out a tentacle. You understand all this? So, it's one has to discover for oneself whether there can be complete and total freedom from all selfishness, which is all self-centred activity. Right? That is meditation. To find out a way of living in this world without being selfish, self centered, egotistic activity, egocentric movement. If there is a shadow of that, a movement of that, then you are lost. So I have to be. One has to be tremendously aware of every movement of thought. That's very easy, don't complicate it. When you are angry, for the moment you do not know, there is just that feeling. But when you examine it, you can observe the arising of it. Right? the arising of greed, the arising of envy, the arising of ambition, aggression, as it arises to watch it. Not at the end of it. As it is arising, as you watch it, it withers away. You understand? So you can be aware. So the brain can be aware of the rising of a thought. The, aw- the awareness of rising of thought is attention. Not to smother it, destroy it, put it away, but just the feeling that is don't you know? The feeling of hunger when it arises? Obviously, you do. Or your sexual feeling, or any kind. as it arises, to be completely aware of it. So, the awareness, the attention of the movement of the me, my desire, my. Ambition, my egotistic pursuit. When one is aware, as it arises, it withers away. That is absolutely necessary. So that there is not a particle less shadow of this me. Because the me is separated. I went into all that. So, that's the first thing I have to understand, not control of my body, special breathing, yoga, you know, all those. You wash your hands of all those. Then, to have a brain, That's not partial, right? You understand? That's not acting partially, but whole. I do not know if we have gone into this. I'm talking so long. I must be brief. I point. We pointed out the other day that. We are functioning not with all our senses, but only partially. The partiality, the, the narrowness, emphasises the self. Of course, I am not going to go into it in detail, you can see it for yourself. but. When you observe the mountain, the trees, the rivers, the blue sky, the person whom you you love or whatever it is, with all your senses there is no self. There is no me that is feeling all of it. So that means a brain that is not functioning as a dentist, as a scholar, as a, a labourer, as a super astronomer, but functioning with the whole of your brain, which means that can only take place when the brain is completely quiet. No shadow of self, and absolute silence of the mind, quietness. Not, I would like to use the word emptiness. That, that gives a wrong meaning. Most people's brains are empty anyhow. But, but to have a brain that is not occupied with anything, including God, meditation, with nothing. Only then the brain is silent, full of vitality, and that brain has a great sense of love, compassion, which is intelligent.
1: The fourth extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in Bombay, 1980, titled Trying Not to be Selfish is Selfish. So our concern this evening
0: is to find out for ourselves if it is possible to live a life without sorrow. And sorrow will exist as long as what there is, self-centred occupation – right? You understand? Please. If you listen to it, not how am I to get at it, how am I to stop being self-centred, that's a wrong question. Because then when you say, How am I to not to be self-centered, you want a pattern, you want a system, you want to be told what to do. Then you are back again in another pattern, which is also self-centered. Right? So if you would kindly listen, just listen, either you listen Consciously or unconsciously, deeply. Conscious listening has very little effect. But if you listen (coughs) from the depth of your own being from the depth of yourself, which probably you have never even felt, ever known. So if you could listen with such grace, with such ease, the very listening is a miracle of action. You understand what I am saying? Do you understand what I mean? Some of you say, yes, let's move together. You see, if you try to do something about not being self-centred, you are being self-centred. You understand that? If you say, I must not be selfish, the very... I, the very statement of that contains selfishness. Because you want to be different from being selfish. And that very want creates another form of selfishness. So, you have understood? So, to merely observe The fact that one is selfish and not make a single movement not to be selfish. Because any movement of the mind which has been living with deep, unexamined selfishness, self centeredness. Any act of the mind with regard to selfishness will not only strengthen selfishness but will change the pattern of selfishness and you will think that pattern is unselfishness. You are following all this? So to observe without any movement of... of thought or action. That is to observe your self-centered occupation in the name of God, in the name of, you know, all the rest of it, <coughs> to observe it without the past interfering with it. Just to see your face as it were in the mirror, you can't change your face. Probably you wish you could, but there it is. It is what it is. And to observe it purely, without any distortion, without any pressure, just to observe that very observation. exposes the whole consequences of selfishness and that observation cleanses the mind of selfishness. So don't accept this, do it. So if you could listen so entirely to the fact that All self-centred activity in any form must inevitably lead to isolation and therefore division and therefore strife. Listen to it. Don't agree or disagree. That's a fact. It's like gravity is a fact. You can't do anything about it. But if you observe it, Very closely, minutely, precisely, without any distortion, then that very perception is immediate action. Are you doing it as we are talking? So, where? There is isolation in our relationship. And when we are isolated in our relationship, you may be married, you may sleep with another, you may hold his hand, you may say, My wife, husband, my girl, whatever. We are isolated in our relationships. Because each one has an image of the other, put together by thought through days and years and time. Those two images have relationship, images put there by memory, by association, by remembrance, and that is not relationship, that's why if you observe it the image that you have about another to see it actually what is happening that your relationship is based on memory, remembrance on another, of another, which has built an image in yourself of the other, and the other has also image about yourself. These two images Are the factor of division. Please understand, it's your life. And as long as there is that division, there will be isolation, loneliness, pain, jealousy, anxiety, anger, hate, strife. I wonder if you are listening. And loneliness is the consequence of our self-centred occupation. If you hear that and see the truth of it instantly, immediately, then you will find that self-centred activity comes to an end. It's like ending something, which we have been carrying for a thousand years.
1: The final extract in this episode is from the sixth talk in sanan 1975, titled... Stepping out of the stream of selfishness.
0: You are selfish and another is selfish. You are frightened, another is frightened. Basically. You want you are aching, suffering, tears, greed, envy that is the common lot of all human beings. That is the stream in which we are living in the present. Right? That is the stream in which we are caught, all of us. We are caught in the stream while we are living. Please see see that, that we are caught in that stream as an act of life. That is, the stream is selfishness. Let's put it that way. That stream is, in that stream we are living. The stream of selfishness, that word includes all the descriptions which I have just now given. And when we die, the the organ dies, but the selfish stream goes on. You understand? Just wait, look at it, take time, consider it. Suppose I have lived a very selfish life, that is, self-centred activity, my desires, the importance of my desires, the ambitions, the greed, the envy, the accumulation of property, accumulation of knowledge, accumulation of all kinds of things I have gathered, which I have termed as selfishness. And that is this, that is the thing I live in. That's the me. And that is the you, also. In our relationship, it is the same. So, while living, I am, we are together flowing in the stream of selfishness. Got it? You see, this is a fact. Not my uh, opinion. Not my conclusion. If you observe it, you see it. Whether you go to America, you see the same phenomenon. In India, in all over Europe. Modified by the environmental pressures and so on and so on. But basically, that is the movement. And when the body dies that movement goes on. So there is this vast stream of selfishness – if I may use that word to include all the things that is implied in that word – is the movement of time. And when the body dies, that goes on. Go slowly in this. I'm going to go into this little more. And I die. My wife fearful, upset, lonely, missing the companionship, having no money – you follow? – is suffering, still like the rest of the world, and she goes to a medium, séance. Because she wants to get into touch with me, because she's lonely, unhappy, suffering, no money, all that, and the the medium there gets into contact with what it calls the me, the husband, and says your husband is here. He has a message for you. He says he's perfectly happy. Look under the drawer and you'll find the testament. This phenomenon is repeated differently in different ways all over the world. Either it is The medium picking up the intimation, unconscious intimations of the wife, and repeating it. One can do that very simply if you have observed that one there is a such thing as transmission of thought. You must have played with it, you must know it, it has it has its own reality. Or out of that stream of selfishness. The thought of K still exists and the thought manifests. So there it is. We live in that stream in our daily life till we die. And when we die, that stream continues. Just a minute. That stream is time. this time. That is the movement of thought, which has created suffering, which has created the me, which has which the me is, has now asserted itself, being independent, and divides itself from you. But the me is the same as you when it suffers. So the me is the word, the me is the word, the me is the imagined structure of thought, it has no reality, it is what thought has made it, because thought needs security, certainty. So it has invested in the me all its certainty, and in that there is suffering and all the rest of it. In that movement of selfishness. While we are living we are being carried in that stream, when I die that stream exists. Is it possible for that stream to end? I die physically, that's obvious. My wife may cry about it. But the fact is I die. The body dies. And this movement of time is going on. Of which we are all part. That's why the world is me, and the world me is the world. And Can this. will there be an end to this stream? And is the manifestation of that ending of the stream. is it the manifestation of something totally different from the stream? I wonder if you follow all this. are you interested in all this? Hein, so play to Ça So ça? Ça don't C'est trop. <laughs> yeah. What is can selfishness? with all its decorations, with all its subtleties, come totally to an end. And the ending is the ending of time. And therefore, there is totally different manifestation of that ending, which is No selfishness at all. I wonder if you you have understood this little bit. See, there are several things involved in this. In that stream. Is there a you and me? You understand? When there is suffering, is there a you and me, or there is only suffering? I identify myself as the me in that suffering, which is the process of thought. But the actual fact is you suffer and I suffer, not me suffers something independent of you who are suffering. I wonder if you see that. So there is only suffering, not I suffer and you suffer. You suffer because you are… I suffer but keep to myself. I suffer because my son, my wife, my husband, my neighbour, my relative is dead. I suffer because my wife has turned away from me. I suffer because there is loneliness. I am suffer because I can't fulfil, I can't get everything I want. I want position, power, money, sex, in that order. And I suffer. Don't you also suffer in the same way? So, the suffering is the same as me. It is not. I suffer something separate from you. You understand, sir? That is a tremendous thing to find out. So there is no individual suffering, Ah. there is individual blindness but that's a physical phenomenon but the suffering is the same as you and me therefore there is only the factor of suffering do you know what it does when you realize that oh God. out of that Non-personalised suffering, non-identified as the me who is suffering, separate from you, when there is that suffering, out of that comes tremendous sense of compassion. You, I wonder if you see that. The very word suffering comes from the word passion. So I've got this problem now. Living, there is selfishness, dying, there is selfishness. And that is this stream of time as a movement of thought. And that stream of selfishness can manifest itself, which is happening all the time. That manifestation of that selfishness may, be, may have a name, as John Smith, Kay and somebody else. But if, if there is no name… You understand if, I, if there is no naming of that suffering as belonging to me, what is then the the individual at all? You follow? I wonder if you see this thing. I suffer. There is suffering, and. That suffering has been given a name and a form as K – K is me – has been given a name and a form, and that name and form becomes the individual, separate from the stream of suffering. And that individual says, I am different from you. I'm clever, I'm Dala, or you are more clever, or this and that. If there is no naming as the form, and no naming the form, then is there an individual at all? I wonder if you see this too, too. The word individual means indivisible, a human being who is not fragmented, indivisible, in himself, that is the whole, whole being healthy, sane, rational, holy. And when death takes place, when there is living, is there an ending of time as movement of thought and suffering? Now – you follow the question – can I, as a human being, living, knowing I am in the stream I exist as selfishness, can that stream, can that movement of time come totally to an end, both at the conscious as well as the deep level? You understand my question, after describing all this? Now how will you find out? How will you find out whether you who are caught in the stream of selfishness can completely step out of it, which is the ending of time, and therefore death is the ending of time as a movement of thought, if there is the stepping out of that. Can you, living in this world, with all the beastliness of it, the world that man has made, which thought has made, the dictatorship, the totalitarian… In authority, the destruction of human minds, destruction of the earth, the animals, the everything he touches, he destroys, including his wife and husband. <laughs> now, can you live in this world completely and without time? That means no longer caught in that stream of selfishness. Can you? Now who is going to tell you whether you can or cannot? You understand? Or will you take time? You understand? what? If you take time, you are still in there, still in the stream. So the whole idea of gradual change, gradual evolution, gradual process, is still the continuity of suffering, continuity of selfishness. I wonder if you see So do you actually see this? See in the sense, clearly as you see the speaker sitting on the platform. see, there are much more things involved in this which we haven't time to go into, because there is such a thing as great mystery. Not the thing invented by thought, that is not mysterious. The occult is not mysterious, which everybody is chasing now, that is the fact. The, the experiences which drugs give is not mysterious, the, this thing called death and seeing all this the description and much more involved in it. And the mystery that lies when does when there is a possibility of stepping out of it. Which is as long as one lives in the world of reality, which we do, can there be the ending of suffering in that world of reality? Wait, wait, wait. Think about it. Look at it. Look at it. Don't say yes or no. If I don't, if there is no ending of suffering in that world of reality, which is order, if there is no ending of suffering, which is selfishness, please, I'll use the word selfishness. If there is no ending of selfishness in the world of reality – it is selfishness that creates disorder in the world of reality – if there is no ending to that then you haven't understood or grasped the full significance of ending time. Therefore you have to bring order in the world of reality. That is, in the world of relations, in the world of action, in the world of rational thinking and irrational thinking, the fear, pleasure, self—all that is in the world of reality. So, can you, can one living in the world of reality as we are, end selfishness? You know, it's a, it's a very complex thing. Ending selfishness. It's just. It isn't just. I won't think about myself. <laughs> it is. It's a very complex thing and very subtle. One may think one is not selfish, but deeply, there is this root of it, which shows itself in its peculiar ways. To be enormously aware of all that—that means being sensitive. You cannot be sensitive if you drink, if you take drugs, smoke, obviously, or you cannot learn. By going to college, how to be sensitive. You cannot learn how to be sensitive from another. You have to be aware of one's insensitivity. One is aware of one's. one is sensitive to one's desires, to one's hurts, to one's demands. But t- we are talking of being sensitive totally, both physiologically as well as psychologically. That means one has to have an excellent body, not drug body by alcohol or overeating and all the rest of it. So one has to be aware of this selfishness in the field of reality. Because this selfishness in the field of reality is creating chaos, and you are the world and the world is you. If you change deeply you affect the whole consciousness of man.